0: From 88.7 FM, WXDU Durham, and available via podcast on the World Wide Web, this is Shooting the Bull, your weekly survey of what's happening in the Bull City, brought to you by the voices of the Durham blogosphere. The opinions expressed on this program belong to the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect those of WXDU or Duke University. Good evening, folks. I'm Kevin Davis with BullCityRising.com. I'm Barry Reagan. I write at DependableErection.Blogspot.com. Welcome to Shooting the Bull for Thursday, August twenty seventh, two 2009.
1: Barry, I can't believe that the end of the summer is here. We have students back at Central, students back at Duke, and... uh,
0: Students back everywhere. That's true. When you were a kid, Kevin, and it was the first week of school, don't you remember seeing signs everywhere? School's back. Drive carefully.
1: You know, I grew up in Florida, where I think the number of pedestrians you hit gets you bonus points in the game
0: of life. On on your driver's license, so you can get it renewed automatically for the next time. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe maybe it's just me, but I'm driving around today, and it's like, hey, you know, that's the third school bus I've seen this morning. Is school back? Did did school (laughs) start? Because I know that there's a movement in North Carolina to push the opening of school back after Labor Day.
1: Because of the tourist industry, right? Well,
0: well, I don't know if it's the tourist industry or what. I mean, I certainly grew up not going to school until yeah. after Labor Day, and it wasn't because of the tourist industry. If
1: we want to know why, for years, North Carolina has ranked in the vestiges of the bottom for education, there's been a lot of controversy uh, in the in, in the tourist industry down east from folks wanting to make sure the school calendar is not expanded beyond the, I think it's 180 days, right? because then how would you get kids out to work at the Tasty Freeze and support all those tourists coming in?
0: When was the last time you were at the beach, Kevin? You know, I grew up in Florida, Barry. I, now it's it's been a while. It's been a Every couple of years. Every time that I have gone to the beach in North Carolina for the past couple of years, I can tell you that the people working at the Tasty Freeze and the people working in the grocery store are not North Carolina high school students. They are all from Eastern Europe, and it is a remarkable experience i thought they were all selling dead sea salts at the mall I, i'm not i'm not sure i'm not sure how it works you know <laughs> but but everybody everybody working in, in any place down like in the outer banks is is all from uh, is all from eastern europe it's it's absolutely bizarre. interesting but apparently school is back folks so uh do drive with a little extra caution yes. a little more carefully than you usually do um you don't want to hit any students you don't want anybody shooting you know paintballs at you or whatever and you know i mean on that note i did read this week a um, uh, very serious and very sad accident, uh, which apparently involved excess speed up on Oxford Highway, and uh, um, a girl a girl who was starting her high school career, mm-hmm. second day at high school, killed in, uh, in, in a one-car accident, um, somebody speeding and lost mm-hmm. control. So, you know, folks, getting from point A to point B in 11 minutes as opposed to 13 minutes, not worth someone's life.
1: Very true, Barry, very true. Uh, we uh, have a full show tonight. Uh, Ray Gronberg from the Herald Sun is going to be our guest in a little bit. After we catch up on some of the local news this week, and uh, Barry, there were a few stories that caught your eye this week that weren't there.
0: Well, they, they caught my eye because they were on your blog. <laughs> the um, the 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 Reading Street program up uh, with with um, with Durham Public Schools. This is a standardized reading program which is apparently drawing some uh, some ire from parents um, who don't want their kids uh, being given a a, a training program and how to take multiple choice tests.
1: You know, it's a, it's a really tough issue, Barry. And and I, I, sort of unusually, I went and and ran on a range of independently received parent complaints from different schools, uh, and it's generated some good discussion, I think, about this this fear of over tests. In other school districts, as reports that these tests are used as kind of uh, just an approach to help people both learn, learn literature and learn uh, learn some language skills, but then to be able to excel at on end-of-grade tests. Well, it's, it,
0: it apparently is teaching to the test, is at least what a lot of people are concerned about.
1: On the flip side, one of the, the interesting things, and this has come up in some of the dialogue as well, and I'm, I'm hoping we'll see more of it hopefully in the school board meeting, which is taking place tonight, there should right be a report now, in, yeah. in the papers tomorrow, uh, is that we really are dealing with a very bifurcated school population. You've got a population of parents like those who, in this case, uh, Club Boulevard has been one of the, the centers of, of uh, concern around this, parents who probably come from well-educated, relatively affluent backgrounds, who want their children to be stretched, you know, who want their children to get authentic literature, which is part of the Club Boulevard program. But then you have DPS with an entirely other population of students who tend to come from uh, poverty uh, tend to come from you know uh, backgrounds where academic performance may not
0: be as strong there were there were some some and data maybe a lot of single family parents where parents don 't have a lot of um, a lot of extra time to spend you know with their kids teaching reading and uh, and, and such like that but similar to uh, some of the issues that we see in in our public transportation system here where where you end up not having people choosing to ride the bus who can afford to do other things if you end up with a school district in which people who can afford to send their kids elsewhere do, Mm -hmm. right, that has a negative impact on the school system.
1: And we already have that. We have a tremendous number of charters. We have very well-subscribed private schools. One of the things I thought was really unfortunate, and again, I I don't blame DPS or the school board for this. They've inherited a situation that Durham has built and the nation has built over over generations. Uh, But this week when the SAT scores came out, white students in Durham, those who were in the DPS public school system, uh, again, are more likely to come from backgrounds of advantage. Scored above the national state averages for SAT. Students from Hispanic and African American backgrounds scored, scored below the state average. And often, when the data are disaggregated, you, the intent has been to see: look, students are performing relatively equally within their their populations. Right. But when you see groups disproportionately doing better and worse, I mean, it's it's a it's a tough conflated issue. And. These are people who are going to be working in our businesses. They're people who are going to be taking care of us in the hospital, looking after you in the nursing home in five or six years. I mean, we, we need them to get good <laughs> educations, Barry.
0: What, what are we going to do here? Oh, that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know the answer. I mean, if I knew the answer, I'd run for school board. And, you know, and, and, and I don't, so I don't. There, know, there
1: is always a dearth of qualified candidates in Durham County, a, Barry.
0: And and we will be discussing <laughs> that very topic um, shortly with uh, with our with our friend uh, with our friend Ray um, moving on quickly um, because we're not going to answer the, the school the school board and the, the curriculum problem um, tonight or at any point in time on this program you had uh, you, you, you attended a neighborhood association meeting for a neighborhood that you don't live in. And how did that how did that go? This is over at Cleveland Holloway, and they are talking about what we talked about. Um, we had some folks from Cleveland Holloway on, I, I think, uh, at one point last year, and we talked about very similar issues. So,
1: yeah, well, it was a really fascinating meeting, Barry. They they had two nonprofits there, um, and Cleveland Holloway has gotten a lot of attention for having nonprofits uh, have, who have come in uh, because of its location near social services and low housing and land prices, and building group homes, building you know homeless shelters. There was a, a behavioral lockdown facility for troubled teenagers that was blocked by the neighborhood a couple of years ago. So you had these two nonprofits coming in, one of which uh, was actually, has actually bought a house. They've moved to, or their plan is to move two to three 17- to 21-year-olds in there. They'll check up on them three or four times a week, and their job is to fix up the house while they live there and find themselves a job and stay for six or 12 months and move out. And there were some, it was an interesting split in the neighborhood. You had what I would consider probably some younger, um, socially progressive, downtown-oriented type folks who may who maybe new to the neighborhood in some cases, who said, yeah, let's see if we can make this work. Are there ways that we could, could get them connected? And you had some, uh, some other residents, at least one of whom, uh, Farad Ali's one-time uh, mother-in-law, uh, who has bought properties in the area, was featured in the indie who was was furious almost at the point of 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 direct anger at at the you know, very young woman from the nonprofit there to build the housing Said so at one point if, if you all meaning the neighborhood keep doing these kind of houses or allowing these in the neighborhood i 'm going to sell my three houses and let them become homeless shelters. It brought the tensions out of a neighborhood that 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 by all accounts is very community oriented is very concerned about connections with, with neighbors, and yet feels like it has too much, too high a percentage of these kind of facilities. Right.
0: And it's still a transitional neighborhood, and it appears to be, because of its prime location, um, poised to become uh, a very desirable um, and less affordable place to live. I mean, uh, I, I know a particular house in Cleveland Holloway, which sold for more than a comparable house in my block. And people say, oh, well, you live in this neighborhood. But, uh, you know, houses in Cleveland Holloway are now going for more than houses on, are on my block. So
1: and, and actually, Look, uh, may,
0: maybe that will inspire somebody to try to build a group home on, on my block.
1: Well, actually, one the other half of the meeting was devoted to uh, this program called Builders of Hope. Hopefully we can go into it more in future weeks. They're just starting their discussions with Cleveland Holloway. But their their MO has been to actually get houses that are going to be tear downs for NCDOT road widenings and the like, move them to greenfield or redevelopable space, and rebuild them from the frame up, uh, or they'll rehab on site. But their goal is what they're calling workforce housing, somewhere between very low income or, or Section 8 uh, or charitable homes and market rate, but aiming, as they, they claim, at teachers and firefighters and the like. Well,
0: they should find plenty of uh, developable lots in... Cleveland Holloway, as the Neighborhood Improvement Services has removed houses from any number of lots in Cleveland Holloway over the past several years.
1: Their quote was, 4,000 houses boarded up in Durham. They'll, they'll find somewhere to work, but uh, the city, they, they apparently are working with the city on proposals ranging from an incubator uh, program of some sort to a $2.5 million grant to uh, approach uh, some, some rebuild projects. So it's a group to watch. They've been very active in Raleigh and are just beginning to get a foothold in Durham. All right.
0: Well... It is uh, It is 2009. It is an odd-numbered year in Durham, and that means that it's time for municipal elections again. Uh, we're just approaching the real serious part of the election system as Labor Day is what... Uh a week, and a, half, a week and a half. a week and a half away. So we are going to be covering the election between now and uh, I guess the primary is the first Tuesday in October, and the uh, and, and election day itself is the is the first Tuesday in November. And one of the f- people who's going to be helping us do that is Ray Gronberg, reporter for the Herald Sun. Ray is with us tonight uh, to to lay the groundwork and give us a background on uh, on Durham's upcoming elections. Ray, welcome to Shooting the Bull.
2: yeah oh, thank you, Barry. Yeah, Kevin, glad to glad to join y'all.
0: So, Ray, you've
1: been, been watching <clears throat> elections for some time here in Durham, and I think you covered some of Orange County.
2: No, oh, I covered Orange County for uh, Chapel Hill, Carborough, Hillsborough for a lot of years. Uh, Durham since 05.
1: Okay. But I, I imagine, just as someone who lives in the in the area, you've probably watched Durham elections over the years. What What's been the most intriguing election or the most uh, amusing uh, election i mean i think of the vincent brown story a couple of years ago but w- what's been in, in in your time watching durham kind of the the oddest election you've had to put up with
2: the Vin- the vincent brown election is really hard to top where the guy yeah you know, the guy you know files to run against bill bell and then um you know before he's even out of the block the uh, uh how, how shall we say a competing newspaper uh added up his uh, criminal record and uh ooh, boy, needed uh, quite a few column inches to, to lay it all out. Uh, we're talking felonies in this state, in Virginia, and, uh, you know, the list went on. And before, you know, the week was out, Vincent Brown had uh, disappeared from the, uh, from the election. And, uh, you know, within a few months, a couple of years, he was back in the clink. So, uh, you know, that, that's, that's hard to beat. Could have been uh, worse. He could have actually have gotten elected, right?
1: He could have won. <laughs> yeah, but this always seems like one of the perversities of Durham politics to me. Which is, and we were talking about this a little bit before we went on air. I've never been in a place where so many people pay attention to local politics, like it's like it's the local major league sports team to some to some extent. Mm-hmm. And yet, there seems to be a dearth of people standing up and, and challenging. And, and when I look back at the election you cross tabs from ninety seven, ninety nine, two thousand one, it didn't seem like it was always this way. You had what at least felt like. More contested elections, people mm-hmm. who had more of a base in the community running for election. I mean, do you think that's changed?
2: Uh, certainly, since the uh, the council downsized, I was, you know, I was talking with uh, a person who shall remain nameless, but a fairly uh, prominent political leader in town, who was just lamenting the downsizing that uh, that it just went too far. That with seven people, there are you know too few people to cover the ground, cover the committee work that has to be done. And that folks are just stretched too thin. I mean, if you look at folks like Mike Woodard and Cora Cole McFadden and Bill Bell, they're basically doing double, uh, uh, in case of Mike and, and Bill, they're doing second full-time jobs. Uh, Cora's retired, and, you know, it's a little easier for her to get to, uh, to every community event that the, you know, the council folks get invited to, but uh, it still keeps them busy.
0: Right. Let's let's talk about who's actually um, running and what seats are um, are are up for grabs this year. I, I know that the mayor is uh, because the mayor's term in Durham is every two years, so every time there's a municipal yeah. election, uh, Bill Bell is, is finishing up his fourth term.
2: Uh, he, in, yep, and, and I think that I think that's right. First elected to mayor in two thousand one. Before right. that, longtime co- county commissioner. Obviously, uh, he's running against a single challenger, Stephen Williams. Uh, it's a nonpartisan race, but there's uh, as as has been kind of the custom for for Bell, given his background as as a former yeah. county commissioner, there's a partisan tinge to it. Stephen Williams is is a Repu- registered Republican. Um, however, uh, this this doesn't shape up to be the kind of race that it did two years ago when uh, Bell and Thomas Stiff were were facing off. Uh, Thomas ran very well financed. Uh, campaign. He was up over $100,000 in donations and, and spending. Um, Stephen Williams doesn't seem, you know, based on early uh, uh, early performance, to have that kind of fundraising power. And uh, Bill Bell is, you know, frankly, a, a friend of Barack these days. So, you know, he's yeah you know, was an early endorser of President <coughs> Obama and, uh, you know, has been invited up to the White House a few times, and this is all very well known and Makes him even that much more thought of among a predominantly Democratic electorate here in town.
1: I, I have to say, reading the independent weekly's candidate questionnaires, I noticed that Stephen Williams refers to himself as Stephen Williams, which
2: it is in the third person. Yes, it
1: makes it, you know, just just gives that little notch there. I have to wonder. It, it is an interesting year for for candidates, but I mean, I know there's speculation that that all of the challengers are going to have a hard time this cycle. Um, most of the candidates are only facing one or two opponents. Uh, but then there's the Ward Two seat where you've got four people challenging Howard Clement for mm-hmm. for you know, for his seat, and he's been on council for uh, a since quarter of I, a century.
2: Since so. basically 1981, yeah, he's he's been around the block a few times, uh, and Lord knows uh, enough people running against him. Uh, let's see if I get them all this time. Matt Drew, who's the uh, leader of the local Libertarian Party, uh, you have uh, Sandra Howell, uh, who's uh, sometime cosmetol yeah cosmetologist. Uh, you have Darius Little, who's um, uh, you know kind of a, a church activist and uh, uh, paralegal, and uh, you have uh, Sylvester Williams, Sylvester Williams uh, you know, a minister who's uh, been active uh, opposing the East End Connector uh, over the last uh, you know couple three years.
1: What do you see out on the ground about how these candidates are are trying to? To garner um, attention, I mean, and and maybe it's too early in the season yet, but you know, are are, you, are they out at, are they out at picnics? Are they out at neighborhood association meetings? If you're a local candidate in Durham, what do you try and do to get your your message across? When outside of the Thomas Stith race, where we actually saw TV commercials, right. you don't use the mass media in most cases to get your message
2: out. The stage right now, folks are angling for political action committee endorsements. The Friends of Durham, uh, the, the People's Alliance Durham Committee on the Affairs of Black People, all these folks are doing their interviews. Uh, the Friends have already done their interviews. Uh, the PA is uh, collected their questionnaires, and I believe they're meeting on September first. Uh, the uh, uh, the Durham Committee is doing its uh, uh, doing its interviews and, and decision making after uh, you know after the beginning of the month. Um, and so it's, it's very critical for, you know, particularly for the challengers uh, to land, um, you know, the, the rule of thumb around here is, you know, get two and, you know, you're very much in the game. Um, you, know, for, you know, for folks like uh, Darius Little or Sylvester Williams, it's, you know, uh, the, the committee endorsement particularly shapes up as being very critical. Um, you know, if they if if they don't come come down with that, then they're pretty much dead in the water, I should think.
0: Now there are two uh, two other ward races that are being contested this year: Mike Woodard in um, in Ward Three, three. Uh-huh. and uh, and Cora cole McFadden in Ward One. Um, one Cora, Cora has attracted two challengers, so, so she will she, also so have a, ward, a primary.
2: Correct. Ward One and Ward Two are both going to primaries on October sixth is uh, running against uh, Donald Hughes, who's a uh, uh, political activist and son of uh, former school board member and city council member Jackie Wagstaff, uh, and he, she's also running against uh, John Tarantino, who's a, uh, a Republican, has been active in the uh, Durham County Republican Party. Uh, again, it's a nonpartisan race, uh, but, uh, you know, these uh, candidates have ways of reminding people of these <laughs> affiliations, uh, particularly if their name is, name is Bill Bell. Um, the uh, the Ward One race is um, I'd, I'd yeah you know, obviously with three candidates it's not as as scattered a field and scattered a situation as Ward Two um, at this point you know you'd have to say that you know, that Hughes would be the favorite to get into the primary against against Cole McFadden uh, after that you know we'll see what happens in the month between then mm-hmm. and the general election on November third.
1: The, the, the Hughes campaign has been interesting, you know someone who has a blog just in terms of watching his use of social media and mm-hmm. I'm actually really curious to see the campaign finance reports come out because mm-hmm. I know he was trying to raise from his Facebook members three dollars through PayPal per member, and other than being a nightmare in terms of having to do the, the paperwork on that one mm-hmm. uh, it, it's interesting because because you really again do see very traditional campaigns, I and mean, it's your old old ward and and pack type. Politics, right. you know, it's not. You know, sometimes mailers home, mm-hmm. although in the county commissioner race last year, the, the I think of Josh Parker who sent a lot of attractive mailers and things mm. like that, and didn't get traction in the 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 election.
2: I, I don't think you can draw many lessons from last year's county <laughs> commissioners race. <I laughs> That's mean, true. That, the, the the turnout there. Uh, the the two word explanation for what happened in the county commissioners race last year was Barack Obama, totally changed the dynamic. Totally changed. Uh, the turnout totally changed the electorate. Um, we're we're just not going to see those same kind of numbers, and I, you know, I, I don't think we're necessarily going to see the same profile of a uh, of voter, quite frankly.
0: I, I, I'm thinking, Ray. When I look at at the. Municipal election two years ago, which was the um, the at large election and and Durham is somewhat different from many other cities in that actually in fact all of our elections are at large. all city council members are voted on by the entire city except in 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 the ward years you actually have to reside within the ward that that, that you are that you are running. but when you have the one <laughs> primary where you have ten or eleven or twelve people filing and and the top six um, go on to the general election it's a very different dynamic Mm -hmm. Uh, and and there were some very good candidates Mm -hmm. running for the at-large seats two years ago when I look at the at the challenger pool this year Mm -hmm. it, it does not strike me as as necessarily that the cream of Durham's crop has risen to the top as mm-hmm. as it were there are a lot of very good people out there who who choose not to run whether they look at the incumbent in their ward mm-hmm. as being too strong mm-hmm. uh, or you know or or whether there's another reason i was just wondering if that's something that i you know i'm seeing that's really there something that i'm just making up uh you know what what do you think about that oh
2: i you know, it it does kind of stick out and i i think that candidate recruitment is is a, a problem uh Maybe because it's a nonpartisan race in a, a fairly partisan town, who knows? Uh, what sticks out to me is that you don't have the heavy representation of neighborhood leaders uh, like you would in, say, to pick a non-random example, Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've always got somebody you know in in those races who's got strong ties with an environmental group, with neighborhood groups you know, you know, whether they're, you know, even, you know, running as challengers. So you always, you know, have, you know, or that, even
0: as incumbents or even as yeah.
2: In, incumbents. Yeah. I mean, but you always have that pool of folks who've, you know, who've been around the block on on uh, critical municipal issues um, just sitting there, you know, offering, you know, spurring the debate at the very least Um and uh, in this cycle it's you know in, in in the ward election, you're not really seeing that. Sylvester Williams is is among the challengers as close as as close as you, you see to that. I mean he and he's had you know his patch as it were, is a bit on the smaller side. I mean he's had that one thing, East End connector mm-hmm. uh, which is not, yeah I mean obviously big impact on the neighborhood affected, but the neighborhood affected, it is not what you'd call large i mean we're talking a couple dozen houses here yeah um you know i mean you know you don't see the john shelps and uh the tom millers and and such that are you know you know getting into the fray as it were yeah and again partly because it's a huge time commitment for busy professionals
1: and that's something that's that 's come up over and over, and I, we were talking before the show about one council member who's averaged out the amount of time they spend for the the pay they get and worked it out to under a dollar an hour and I, I That would not surprise me from you know I work near where one council member works, and I walk by their desk all the time and and you can just tell that that uh you know, a lot of lot of engagements, a lot of mm-hmm. civic business that does not translate through to eighteen and change a year that you yeah. that you make. The,
2: the date book and the Outlook calendar is quite full. i yeah. I mean, clearly
1: it looks that way. Yeah. Let, let's uh, let's change gears from the the election a little bit uh, because you've been providing some coverage of late of the county commissioners, wow. and this has been an interesting county commissioner group with the return of. Joe Bowser, who mm-hmm. was kicked out in uh, '04, right. and made his way back after leading the charge to fire, County manager Mike Ruffin, made right. his way back on, has, has played nice so far uh, mm-hmm. with, with Mike Ruffin. But you've had a very divided well, at least
2: on, at least on the, uh, in public. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I had raised eyebrows, but it was important that you said he played nice with Mike Ruffin.
1: I was about to say it' it 's been a very divided uh, commission otherwise you 've had a lot of very tense moments mm-hmm. what do you what What has the change been like for you what have What have you seen comparing it to past experiences on the commission
2: uh, I think it 's probably uh, a more at this point a somewhat more engaged county commit you know, commission because you know, uh, joe bowser 's definitely uh, wanting to take an interest, and he he's not intending to roll over for Michael Page or Ellen Reckow or anybody. Uh, he's very much his own man. Uh, does that translate into committee work? Uh, is, is that that that's 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 a different issue. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, the business gets done in the main meetings, and. You know, there, you know, Bowser's definitely a force. I mean, and and for both sides to reckon with, it's pretty clear that uh, that he and Michael Page are going to butt heads on the uh, question of the Burn school siding. Uh, you know, I mean, the, you know, the whole question, you know, because there's, you know, disputatious neighbors out there on Snow Hill Road, and Bowser's saying, you know, we can't run over these people, and Page is saying it's not like there there's a huge surplus of school sites around in this county.
1: True. And we'll probably see that again with the, the school board uh, selection of a, of a site as well, and that will, of course, will make it to the commissioners, too. Mm-hmm. Brenda Howerton has been the, the X factor in this race, um, or I shouldn't say in the race, but in the uh, on the board. Right. Certainly, she cast a very important swing vote on the 751 mm-hmm. assemblage project. Right. But when I've watched the commission meetings, she's, she's very careful with her language. She's very mm-hmm. careful with her choice of words. Do you think she has picked sort of an alignment either with personalities on the council or issues, or is she still feeling her way out in, in the seat?
2: Seems to still be feeling her way out. Uh, my sense on the 751 project is that her vote on the um, uh, the, the key vote that you're referring to on, on whether to send that back to a zoning hearing or not was basically a procedural uh, vote. Uh, she she was pretty clearly on board on the next major decision the commissioners have made, which was to part ways uh, with uh, former county attorney Chuck Kitchen. Uh, Chuck had announced his retirement. He was going at the end of November anyway, and they you know the commissioners brought that up. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, I'm you know suspect I know what the alignment was, and I suspect I know where Brenda Howarden was on that. Um, the uh, you know that decision uh was very interesting because you know you don't you know with the exception you referred to you Mm -hmm. know to you know the mike ruffin firing you know a few years ago you don't see you know senior you know senior you know council hire or commissioner hire officials go not of their own accord Mm -hmm. you know very often and that was you know that was an interesting interesting decision
0: What's what's in store for uh, for the county commission in the next in the next year? I know that uh, the, you know some of the Jordan Lake issues are going to be big, but what else is the is the county commission having to wrestle with and having to make a decision on over the next six or eight months? is going to be interesting to look at.
2: Well, Mike Ruffin would tell you the budget. Uh, oh. He's he's expecting the uh, the fiscal uh, 2011 budget uh, to be even more difficult than the uh, uh, the fiscal 10 you know, budget was. They're they're only real. Con- point of contention was with the school board uh, in setting this last last budget but uh at the end of the day there wasn't much contention at all because it became, very quickly became obvious that the board was going to stand behind you know Mike Ruffin and what he was proposing to give the school system um he Ruffin would tell you that they've squeezed you know they they've squeezed the lemon at this point and most of the juice has come out and everything everything else you know they're probably going to have to cut budgets again mm-hmm. and the next round will be you know far more difficult uh and far more painful i mean they're you know you know they they may you know i mean city looked at layoffs this last time um you know i, I haven't heard that word yet necessarily from from the county folks but i wouldn't be surprised hmm.
1: we we only have about a minute left but uh it's been a year now since tom bonfield started as as city manager um getting any read about how you know, how he's fit in with the community he seemed to get off to a great very fast start the administration's had challenges with recycling the paintball speeder issue a few other public uh public dust-ups this summer any any sense of how he's doing
2: oh he's doing fine account yeah the council's uh the, the council's evaluated him and i have no reason to believe that one went, went anything other than smoothly uh the uh you know department heads uh you know and Bonfield have been getting to know each other and getting to you know getting to know you know the department heads have been getting getting to know how he'd like them to work and how he'd like the system to work key decision that hasn't been made yet is who the third deputy city manager is going to be to oversee community development uh, uh office of economic workforce development planning that whole side of the operation uh Tom's been wearing a couple different hats and has been overseeing those departments himself and you know, even under Patrick Baker, it was pretty clear the chain. You know, the span of control of the manager was just spread a little too thin. Mm-hmm. And getting that third manager in there is going to be pretty critical. Hopefully, they'll or a do that Third soon. deputy in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I hear that uh, that's that's in train. I don't yeah huh. you know, don't know exactly how close they are, but it's the highest hiring priority right now. There
1: there was a grassroots uh, draft Alan Delisle movement uh, since he's been back here in town, but I I I, I expect that's not going anywhere. But All
0: right. yeah. Ray, uh, I want to thank you very much for um for joining us tonight. We are uh, once again out of time as uh, as as happens so frequently every Thursday night. We uh, we we run out of time on shooting the Bull on WXDU Durham. I'm Barry Reagan. I'm Kevin Davis. And our guest tonight has been Ray Gronberg of the Durham Herald Sun. That's heraldsun.com if I'm not mistaken. And we redesigned heraldsun.com. Yes. Uh,
1: we're going out tonight with uh, jazz man and jazz saxophonist uh, Lester Young who is celebrating his 100th birthday. Uh, we are birthday. celebrating his
0: 100th birthday today. <laughs> and he I'm probably doesn't that, know it. I'm afraid that Lester will not be joining us for the celebration. Folks, have a good time. Take it easy.